Hello and welcome to Sharp China. I'm Andrew Sharp, and you are listening to a free preview of today's episode. When those islands were owned by a private citizen, and the, I think it was the government, the, the the municipal government of Tokyo bought them,、mm-hmm. and the PRC side saw that as nationalizing the islands, and basically they used that as a pretext to dramatically, you know, they actually allowed a bunch of protests for several days in major cities in China,、uh, and they used it as a pretext to start sending in.、Um, Their、uh, coast guard. I mean, just basically, like all of a sudden, they had a much, much more regularized patrolling around these、uh, these islands. And at the time, one of the things that happened was suddenly rare earths couldn't be exported to Japan.、Mm. There was like a customs problem or something,、um, <laughs> and it was never an official policy. Some people said, "Oh, they didn't really happen. It was all a big misunderstanding." From the Japanese perspective, they believed they knew exactly what was happening, which was it was sort of a here's some leverage we have. And here's a reminder. Here's a reminder.、Um, you know, there, there's North Korea potentially plays into this because China has some ability to sort of dial up or dial down North Korea. I think it gets overstated, but I don't think it's zero.、Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's just it's a very、um, but it, but back to the Japan ones. I was actually in Beijing at the time, and our kids were at school. They were at a kindergarten preschool across the street from the. Japanese embassy school, the school for like the official Japanese school in Beijing, and the protests were real. And actually, they were the first day that school. Somebody shot out a window with a BB gun, and there was a bunch、Whoa. of there's a bunch of、uh, graffiti. And then, of course, the next day, the entire street was blocked off. It was hard to get to school because there were all these police. You know, the, the police were there and make sure nothing really bad happened. But it it was really interesting how they just not only allowed but encouraged protests for several days, and then they started getting a little rough in some cities and. I think in one city, someone got their head bashed in because they were driving a Japanese car, and then on a, I believe I think it was on a Sunday, all of a sudden, all state media came out with the same line, which was "It's time to protest rationally," and then the protests were over. It was like turning a switch. That's incredible. It was really it was it was interesting, chilling, honestly. But yeah, yeah,、um, yeah. I mean, I, it just seems as though. There's mutually assured pain if those two countries go to any kind of war or even、yeah. economic war. No, I mean that's sort of a, a bulwark. It, no, in Japan, you know, the last few years, I mean, U.S. and Japan have a have a have a treaty. I mean, the the, the Japanese military, you know, their their self defense force, their navy is excellent,、mm-hmm. and they are extremely worried about Taiwan. In that area, it's only going to get more tense. Then Japan and Korea don't always get along. They've had a bunch of disputes over. Uh, when you know when when Japan invaded Korea, it was a Korea, it was colony. I mean, there's all sorts of sort of fraught history, and a lot of it has to do with Japanese imperialism. And this is、um, why it's a eight it's, to no, it's, it's like a multi. No, it's, it's a and then on Australia, just quickly, you know, Australia is interesting because Australia has、uh, China has been mad at Australia.、Um, you know, the previous Prime Minister Scott Morrison suggested that there should be an independent inquiry into the origins of COVID back, I think, in 2020, which drove Beijing crazy, and you know they ended up. Effectively、um, blocking imports of all sorts of Australian goods, but、yeah. mostly consu- mostly consumer goods. I mean, they, they did they did stop coal, they didn't stop iron ore because Australia, China is desperately dependent on Australian iron ore, and so even though China blocked you know all these other imports, some of them like wine and, and I think some of the soft commodities didn't found other markets, but not quite at the same level. But China's Australia's exports to China, I think, it's continued to rise because the price of iron ore rose, and China had no other had no other choice. Yeah, 
And yep. it, it drives the Chinese side crazy. But so Australia actually has a fair amount of leverage in that relationship. That's interesting. I was going to ask about Australia. It sort of seems like Australia is, is a mini United States where there's been a recent awakening in terms of China's influence and the dangers of allowing them to basically run amok. Um, but at the same time, I didn't think Australia would have any sort of leverage there because a, a lot of their economy is dependent on exports to China. I mean, they, they had a hit on their coal, but then China is actually buying their coal again because they, it, it, but the iron ore is really the point. China has been trying for years to, you know, they're, they're trying to build a, uh, for years, they've been trying to build out this new mine. I think it's, it's in Africa. I think it's in, um, I, I, I'm not going to say the country, so I'll get it wrong, but, but they've had all sorts. It's the Simadu or Simadu mine, however you pronounce it. They've had all sorts of problems. They can't get the project going. There's all sorts of corruption. The governments keep changing, um, but it's, it's all, you know, they've been also working uh, in Latin America, trying to build up um, alternative sources, but the Australian iron ore is the best and they just, they wow. just can't quit it. And so, um, no, but Australia is interesting and I, we should put a link into it. There's actually, I ran a, I ran a piece in 2000 and, I mean, 2018, 2019, by a guy who, you know, the, the shift in Australia really happened under Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. Okay. And um, there was a guy who'd been a longtime reporter in China. His dad had been an ambassador to China for Australia. Um, th- this guy's name is John Garneau. And he went back to Australia and he became first a speechwriter for Turnbull and then became like, I think, you know, one of his top China advisors. And during that process, I mean, there were a, there were a few things going on. But there was a sort of a broader review of sort of the Australia-China relationship mm-hmm. that turned it into, I think, sort of took a more hawkish turn. And that has continued to this day. And, you know, it's, it's, it's also, it's, you know, I'm not going to say it's because of one guy or one thing. It's, it's also because of reality. But, but that, the shift yeah. has been happening for a while. And, you know, now you've got with, you know, Australia's part of Five Eyes with the U.S., Canada, U.K., and New Zealand – you know, the Chinese, when they want to criticize Australia, that they're, they're like a, a, a vassal of America or part of the Anglo-Saxon clique, um, you know, blah, 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 is how, how they look at Australia. And the new prime minister, Albanese, there, there's been a little bit of a, a sort of a rhetorical reset with the PRC over the last couple of months, but substantively not much has changed. You know, one of, the, one of the things the Chinese are most upset right now about right now is this AUKUS partnership where... Um, Australia and the U.S. and U.K. are joining forces to get nuclear-powered submarines for Australia, okay. which is, I mean, that's that's one bit of it. That's sort of the headline bit. There's all sorts of other stuff that's going around and other kinds of, like, military technology, cyber stuff. Well, um, and Australia was was opposing some of China's 5G ambitions. Well, a Australia was actually ago. the first country. Australia, under Prime Minister Turnbull, Australia was the one who pushed back against Huawei. Australia yeah. was the one who came to the U.S. and said, you guys should pay more attention to this. This this wasn't a sort of a U.S. driven, uh, you know, predated Trump. It, it was it was actually came out of Australia. And Turnbull was interesting because he had a background as an investor. He he went Goldman Sachs uh, Australia. He'd also been involved in telecommunications there, so he was not an unknowledgeable person when it came to this kind of uh, these kinds of issues. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because China reacted in a pretty serious way to that and the COVID rhetoric. Yeah, no, the Chinese the, the Chinese side has been trying to undo it. They're, now that there's a new um, government in Australia, and certainly they've, they've had some meetings, the rhetoric is toned down, um, but the substantive issues are still unresolved. And there are at least two Australian citizens of 
of Chinese descent, naturalized Australian citizens of Chinese descent, have been arrested in, in China, held longer than they should have been without being charged. Uh, and, you know, the, the Chinese, it's sort of like the the Michael Covid, Michael Spavor situation with Canada. And and so, you know, there's just there's just a lot of things that that I think it, it's hard to see how there's a there's going to be a material shift in the Australia-China relationship, given sort of some of the broader structural issues. Interesting. So that was a pretty long answer to that first question. Sorry, but no, I, it was we good. can keep going, but we should move on to the next one. Yeah, okay. So next one is quick. Eric says, is the U.S. interest in Taiwan tied directly to U.S. chip-making capability? Once some of the TSMC U.S. plants come online and can produce at volume, does that end our interest in Taiwan? Otherwise, what's the vested U.S. interest? The U.S. has already politically agreed to the one China policy, so it's not like we're defending the principles of democracy as we are in Ukraine. Um, Do you have thoughts on that? I think you alluded to it earlier, which is that countries like Japan are U.S. allies and are very, very concerned about what a PRC takeover in Taiwan could mean for the future of that region and, and threats in the medium term to long term. Um, beyond that, do you have any thoughts? So I think, um, that's actually a really great and complicated question that is not, does not have a clean answer. The semiconductor reliance is very important. And it's certainly something that has focused a lot of minds here in DC about, oh my gosh, if we were to, you know, if suddenly the semiconductor industry in Taiwan were to, to, they wouldn't fall into the PRC hands if the PLA invaded, they would just be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but if, if that were to go away, that would have a massive, you know, it'd send the world into depression. That is a key point. I think a lot of people in D.C. imagine it as China seizing Walking TSMC. in and <laughs> typing in their own code exactly. on the door and all of a sudden <laughs> spitting out chips. From what I can tell from talking to Ben Thompson, none of it would survive right. a, a minor conflict. Well, I remember when ben, when ben was here a couple months ago, we were talking about it, and I didn't realize what he was telling the story. He knew someone at TSMC, you know, when, when TSMC finally they built the they built the fab down in Tainan in southern Taiwan, and uh, they. But then they they also they extended the high speed rail down to Tainan, and the stop was like three kilometers from the TSMC fab. And he said that then all of a sudden they started having problems, and they realized it was the vibrations from the train, right, three kilometers away. And so they had to put in all these dampers to to fix it. So imagine a war where there are missiles going off, even if they don't hit the building, where they're going off, you know, within a certain distance or bombs they're going to knock all sorts of equipment off kilter. Exactly. And there's going to be no one left to calibrate it, and you're not going to be able to get the foreign support to come in and fix it. So that aside, back to your question, when you look at sort of the, the semiconductor bit, certainly there that has helped focus a lot of minds. But if you look at, I think, say, Japan's interest, there's certainly interest around the semiconductor stuff. There's also a sort of strategic interest because of the proximity of uh, Japan and, and some of its southern islands to Taiwan. And what it would mean if the PLA were to control that big of a landmass, right? Sort of um, so close to the so close to Japan. For the U.S., I think you also you also have the sort of moral values based argument, which is they're a democracy, and if they were to if they were to be swallowed up by this autocracy, then um, you know that would be again it would be it would be immoral to allow that happen. That's mm-hmm. certainly one strand of the argument. There's also I think the belief. That if the U.S. were to stand by while Taiwan is swallowed up, that would destroy the U.S. alliance structure in Asia because it would it would prove the point that the Chinese do make, which is you know we're on the other side of the ocean, 
we can leave. And the Chinese say, look, these guys aren't here. They're not reliable. They'll just go home when they need to. Right. They're going to pay lip service right. to your And interests. you're going to suffer and you're going to pay the price and then they'll just pull up and go away. Like Taiwan, the, the other argument or one of the arguments is that if Taiwan were to just be taken over by the PRC, that would prove that point. Mm-hmm. And so there are people who say we can't let the U.S. can't let that happen because that would destroy that would be the end of the U.S. and Asia. Right. Yeah. Well, is- All right. And that's the end of the free preview. If you'd like to subscribe and receive full episodes of this show, you can do that in two ways. First, you can go to Sinicism.com and sign up for Bill's newsletter, which will also give you access to all of our Sharp China shows. Or if you want to receive all our Sharp China episodes, along with daily analysis of the tech business from Ben Thompson, several other podcasts about technology, and more shows that we'll be adding in the months to come, you can click the link in your show notes and subscribe to Stratechery Plus.